welcome to British Literature Before 1800, a podcast accompanying the course English 2610 at Utah Valley University. Today we're discussing selections from the Canterbury Tales, including the prologue, the knight's tale, and the wife of Bath's prologue and tale. We'll continue on themes of courtly love, the battle of the sexes, and really what is the best mixtape for a road trip. Today we start our discussion of Geoffrey Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, which was written between 1387 to about 1400. It's written in Middle English, but it's before the great vowel shift has happened, before we get some kind of standardization within the English language. It is considered one of the most popular English language texts uh, from this era because it was not written necessarily in terms of courtly language. It was it was made more accessible to the the lay person. And Geoffrey Chaucer had a lot of different tales here that reached a lot of different audiences. So the main premise of Canterbury Tales, obviously, is this series of stories told by a a number of pilgrims. So it starts, the general prologue starts at an inn in a place uh, near London. um, And it starts with about 29 pilgrims who are planning to make the journey to Canterbury to visit the shrine of Thomas the Becket. And the purpose of this journey is to have a spiritual experience. And yet, as the story goes along, it's fairly obvious that these pilgrims are really here for a holiday and some more worldly experiences. So the speaker of the prologue, the host of this story, is one that we get to know him through the name of Harry Bailey. He's our host. And he is basically the owner of the inn. And he sets up the idea of, hey, you guys are a great group. Let's all go together to Canterbury. Along the way, we'll have everybody tell two stories on the way there, and everybody will tell two stories on the way back. And the person who tells the best story, determined by me, will get a free dinner from the rest of the pilgrims on our return. So that's the whole setup for the prologue. So this is what we call a frame story. So there's a larger story happening within all of these smaller stories. So then each of the pilgrims is going to get an opportunity to tell a story. Now, obviously, we are only reading a couple of sections. We are only reading two of the tales. But even though we're only reading two, there's actually quite a bit of discussion, historically speaking, about whether this Canterbury Tales, as we know it, is a completed manuscript or not. If we understand and take the frame story literally, there's the idea that possibly Chaucer actually did mean for each of the pilgrims to tell four stories, um, which would generate a body of tales that's just ginormous. We're talking hundreds of stories. So we are reading only two of these stories. We will be reading The Knight's Tale, and we'll be reading The Wife of Bath's Prologue and Tale. One of the reasons I wanted us to read these stories is because they do have some really interesting counterparts. They they serve as very interesting counterparts to each other. The knight's tale is told, obviously, by a knight, and he's considered the noble figure of this entourage who's headed to Canterbury. He is described in really glowing terms. He's traveled the world, fought in many wars, including the Holy Wars, and 
um, is considered by the host, by Harry Bailey and, and probably by Chaucer, to be the most elite figure. His story is about, not surprisingly, knights. Um, he tells the story of two knights, particularly Archite and Palamon, who are imprisoned after a battle. Um, and while in prison, they fall in love with a woman that they can see through their windows named Emily. So they fall in love with Emily. One of them gets out of prison, um, but is banished from the kingdom, finds his way back um, to be um, a member of her household as a page. The other um, escapes from prison at the same time that the other is finally kind of making his move on Emily. They come across each other in the woods. They decide to battle it out for who gets Emily's um, love. As they're fighting, Theseus, um, the man who was responsible for putting them in the prison for the first in the first place, comes across them and says, hey guys, this isn't the way to, to deal with your issues. We're going to have a tournament in 100 days. Get as many dudes as you can, bring them together, massive tournament, whoever wins gets the lady. They do this. The day before their tournament, um, we get... Um, Palamon, uh, one of the knights, goes to the temple of Venus, the goddess of love, and prays to her that he will win Emily's love. Archite, the other knight, goes to the temple of Mars, the um, god of war, and says, please let me come out victorious and win this battle. And Emily, this is one of the first times we get from Emily, anything from Emily, she goes to the temple of Diana, the goddess of um, virginity and of the hunt. And she says, please don't let me ever have to marry someone interesting. I'm not going to spoil the rest of the story, but we do get a battle um, and, and we see the gods get involved and we see um, how these this knight um, battle kind of falls out. So that's the first tale that we read. The next tale is um, started out with a prologue from the wife of Bath. And honestly, most people tend to think that the wife of Bath is more interesting than her tale. She is a very worldly woman, and I mean that in both ways. She has been all over the world, and so she's gone around and seen a lot. She's also worldly in terms of her interest in um, sex and physical pleasure. And she doesn't pull any punches, right? She is on this pilgrimage, and there are only, I think, two, three women on this entire pilgrimage, and she doesn't have a problem just telling it the way she sees it. So the wife of Bath in her prologue basically says, I've had five husbands. I think that that's pretty awesome. Um, and the best way to have 500 husbands is to basically control them through um, either withholding sexual gratification from them or to make them doubt themselves. She's basically the queen of um, gaslighting. Um, her her older husbands, um, the first three that she was able to easily control. She has these last two husbands. One of them is quite young. He's 20. She's 40. Um, and they kind of duke it out. There is a little bit of domestic violence there, um, which I don't mean to make light of. But essentially, they come to the conclusion that she will get to be in control of his lands and they will have a happy marriage after that. Um, so she's talked very overtly about her sexuality, the fact that she likes sex, that she controls men through sex. Um, and then after this very long prologue in which she tells us perhaps more about herself than anybody needed to know, 
she tells her story. And in this story, we get, um, it starts out with a knight again. So here you're seeing a counterpart to the knight's tale. The beginning of this opens with the knight um, raping a, a maiden and the court being, and this is Arthurian court. So hopefully you're seeing connections uh, again to things like Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, the, the Arthurian legend being in place here. So the knight is brought before the court and Arthur is about to just say like, let's behead the man. And Guinevere's like, excuse me, King, can I, can I say something here? He's like, go for it, Gwen. Um, she stands up and she says, all right, I will give you a chance to redeem yourself and save your life. You have one year in which you can find out the answer to this question. What do women want? He spends an entire year trying to find answers. He gets a million different answers from a million different people. Um, and he's about to despair. He gets to the kingdom and comes across an old woman who says, what's up, knight? What can I help you with? And he says, I need to answer this question. She's like, I've got the answer, but you're going to have to give me whatever I want after this. He's like, yes, fine. I'm trying to save my life here. He goes to the court. He stands in front of Queen Guinevere and says, the answer is... And I'm going to just leave it right there. I don't want to give too much away. So go ahead and enjoy that when you read it. So these are the stories that we get from Chaucer and the ones that we are reading particularly. One of the things that I want us to explore is a theme that I am realizing now is kind of a theme for the entire course. Um, and that is the battle of the sexes. I didn't actually plan for that to be a theme for this course, um, but I'm realizing now that that is just inherently coming out in all of the texts that we've chosen. So if we're thinking about the, the, the battle of the sexes, let's compare the themes that we see in these two different stories. So in A Knight's Tale, we get the idea of courtly love and these men trying to prove their valor on the battlefield for the woman that they love. And yet... They don't really talk to Emily at all. In fact, in a quote from J.R. Hulbert, he writes that in Chaucer's story, there are two heroes who are practically indistinguishable from each other and a heroine who is merely a name. So what do we get from this story? This idea of there is this really big chivalric code at play. But when our female characters don't get any real voice in this, we have to ask ourselves, what is the chivalric code good for? And this is definitely the case when we get to the wife of Bath's tale, when the chivalric code is thrown out the window immediately with the knight and his initial horrific act. Um, and then we obviously get the wife of Bath herself, as well as the moral of her story and this idea of what do women want? All this leads to another thematic question in terms of when it comes to Chaucer, we have to ask ourselves, is Chaucer a proto-feminist? You know, is he writing the wife of Bath as this fantastic female character that's going to take us into modernity because she's calling out double standards. She is not ashamed of her passions and desires or her body. Or is Chaucer being actually a misogynist and saying, look at this woman who is so overtly sexually driven that she's greedy, she's gross, we don't really like her, she's just bizarre. So the question is, is he a, a proto-feminist? or a misogynist? And then maybe the secondary question being, does it matter um, how he meant it? How do we read it? What, what do we get from this in terms of the battle of the sexes? 
The third and final theme that I want us to be thinking about is the role that satire plays in this. So satire is the idea of using humor and irony and exaggeration to ridicule or expose or criticize people's behaviors. Um, And Chaucer does not hold back throughout this whole piece. Every character comes in for a certain amount of satire, perhaps excluding the knight. Um, but what is he trying to accomplish by the satire? What is he doing when he's appointing out the the avarice in representatives of the Catholic Church? What is he doing when he points out that the wife of Bath is very interested in sex? What is it that satire is supposed to accomplish in this story? And why is it such a masterful example of it? So as part of the wrap up here, let's talk a little bit about adaptation. So I want you to be reading parts of Patient Agbabi's telling tales, partially because she does such a phenomenal job of doing an adaptation, not only updating them to contemporary characters, but also she does culture shifts and she plays with a lot of different motifs. I'm going to end with her reading the last bit of the prologue. Um, And as you listen to this, I want you to be thinking about what are some of the ways that you could update these tales. There are so many tales and so many ways that Chaucer sets up satire and gender and the psychological dimensions of his characters that we have a lot of room to play with. So listen to Patience Agbabi reading her last stanza of the prologue. On this route, Master Boss gets cerebral, tabard into Canterbury Cathedral. Poet pilgrims competing for free picks. Chaucer tales track by track, here's the remix. From below the belt, bass to the top notch. I won't stop all the clocks with a stopwatch. Is the rhymes overrun, run offensive? Or run clean out of stream, they're authentic. Cause we're keeping it real, reminisce this. Chaucer's tales were an unfinished business. May the best poet lose as the saying goes. May the best poet muse be staying those on the stage as they elevate their subject. Me and April, we're the rhyming couplet. I'm the host for tonight, Harry Bailey. If I'm tongue-tied, April will bail me. Cause my tongue's coming out of its chrysalis when my April shows me what a kiss is. So as you start thinking about the ways that you want to remix these stories, take a page out of Agbabi's book. She's not afraid to call this a remix in which she is playing with not just the words of the story, but also the time and the method, and she's performing it. And I love that she makes this the ultimate mixtape for a road trip to Canterbury. Thanks for listening to the podcast this week. I look forward to our discussions later on. Join me next week when we discuss the Shakespearean sonnets, often considered a gold standard in romance, even if your lover isn't.